0: a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure and now with this week's episode your host clinical psychologist dr nazanine moali hello there welcome to another episode of sexology podcast this episode goes live right after christmas and i hope If you're celebrating Christmas, I hope you're having a great time. You're enjoying your holiday. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that actually comes up often. I get emails from our listeners, from you guys, telling me that you want to know more about sex during cancer treatment, but there's not necessarily enough information out there. So I'm very excited for our conversation today with the uh, registered nurse and holistic coach, Deborah Beaumont. Deborah Beaumont is an advanced practice registered nurse and two-time cancer survivor. After her last experience with cancer and multiple complications from treatments, she was frustrated with the conventional medicine telling her that the only thing she could do to prevent another recurrence of cancer was to take prescriptions, get yearly checkups, and hope for the best that it didn't return. Feeling there was a need to know about uh, more about prevention and making treatment decisions that supported having a good quality of life, she immersed herself in learning about holistic and integrative treatment that complemented the medical advice she was being given. She is now a certified functional medicine practitioner and is a holistic and integrative health coach, supporting women and empowering them to make treatment decisions not only in treating cancer but reclaiming their health and having good quality of life she was so gracious that she offered that to our listeners that uh, they can do a 20 minutes phone or skype consult for women who want to incorporate principles of holistic and integrated healing into their own uh, recovery i leave a link to her website at the show notes if you guys want to book a free consult or you want to contact her? Here's my conversation with Deborah Beaumont. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. As I mentioned during the introduction, our guest today is Mrs. Deborah Beaumont. Did I pronounce it right or I butchered it? <laughs> <You're> close enough. <laughs> Beaumont. Beaumont. Okay. Deborah, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you. I was sharing with our listeners at the beginning part of the podcast is just how much we don't have constructive feedback and information and also people not, not necessarily as me and you were talking about physicians are not talking about people's life after and during their cancers treatment. So I'm so excited to have you on because You're not only a registered nurse, you're a certified functional medicine practitioner and a holistic coach. So based on your experience, how cancer diagnosis can impact individual sexuality?
1: Well, thank you for, this is such a big topic, and I I actually have to say that it's one of the major areas that not only is impacted, but it can be the most difficult to talk about. Not only for the person going through it, or, you know, I, I really specialize in working with women who are experiencing and recovering from breast cancer, but it may not be a very comfortable topic for your doctor. Doctors do not talk to their patients about sexuality. So when you go online or you are looking for resources, it'll say, well, talk to your doctor about this. This is not something that doctors are comfortable talking about or have experience talking about or even know what they're talking about. It's it's such a, a special area of interest and having comfort in talking about it, which is why I love your podcast and what you're doing. Because regardless of whether or not you have a diagnosis of cancer or you're dealing with that, we don't live in a society where people talk about sex in a healthy and positive way. We don't have the language. We don't have the ability to talk about it. Some women don't even have the ability to talk to their partners. So if you think about having a diagnosis and dealing with everything that goes on top of that, if you're not in a place where you're able to talk to your partner about sex, where you feel like you have a sex positive relationship to your body, to your sex life, to your partner, getting a diagnosis of cancer only complicates that. It doesn't make any of that go away. It makes it worse. I mean, I can tell you any number of women that I've talked to who are not, you know, say, comfortable taking their clothes off and and initiating sex without having the lights off because they're not comfortable with their bodies well you can imagine if you go through cancer and you go through all of the changes and oftentimes disfigurement associated with that it really seriously impacts your sex drive your sex life your enjoyment and your comfort and it just becomes sometimes that hidden thing that women don't know how to get help with and don't have anybody to talk to about it.
0: Right, and you brought such an excellent point with kind of they saying that talk to your doctor, and we as a society. It's challenging for most people to talk about sexuality. I was just talking with my my therapy friend, therapist friend, and she was telling me how challenging it is for her to even address a sexual part of her client's life and talk about yeah. it. And these are we are people who are trained talking to people about different topics. And sometimes with the uh, in the cancer treatment, with physicians, they might not uh, have the tools to kind of address the issue. And also, as you said survivors and also people who are going through treatment can be challenging if you don't have the skills already to kind of like talking about sex right now when things are really challenging for you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And if there's anything that I want to really help people understand I've been a nurse basically since I was 16 years old. I've been a nurse my whole life. I've been immersed in the medical system. And if there's something I really want people to understand, we're, we're told all the time, talk to your doctor. Go to your doctor about this. I mean, I deal with this with nutrition. Doctors generally also don't know a lot about nutrition. But it's like, well, talk to your doctor about this. Doctors, doctors are specialists. They are trained in a model of diagnosing disease, and treating disease. It doesn't mean that they know anything about sex. They don't know anything about nutrition. They don't know anything about uh, areas outside of that. Now, some doctors do. I don't want, I'm not bashing them. But the fact is, is that just because they're a doctor doesn't mean they're a resource for everything. Right. Particularly in this area, most doctors not only aren't going to be comfortable having this conversation, they don't have the time. If you think about, you know, the average doctor appointment, I think is like 17 minutes you know this is this is not something that you know that to have that conversation to have that comfort to have that safety and trust to have this kind of conversation you may like your doctor a lot he just may not be the resource to go to for things like this and their their experience and their knowledge of it you know it's it's highly individual maybe they did you know specialized training or or education on their own part, but just because they're a doctor doesn't mean that they can help you with this, and it's really important to find therapists, to find support, to find people who can have an honest and frank conversation about this, honestly, and can really help you talk about this, but but as I said, if you don't have the ability to talk about it before you have a major life-threatening illness like this, it's not necessarily going to come automatically afterwards either.
0: Right. And I agree with you that there are like physicians that they have the training. We have like an ASAC. There are a number of different physicians that are certified. But most, based on my experience and at least my encounter, as you said, the, most physicians are specialists in treatment of cancer if that's what they're providing. And if right. people need additional information about their overall well-being, sex life, they need to kind of be able to seek out those services or start we're talking about and asking about it from your physician could be one of them, but also doing some research that who would be, who would, who is specialized in that area. So what are some of the side effects that you often see, especially sexual side effects in women's during and uh, post-cancer treatment?
1: Well, first and foremost, regardless of what, cancer treatment you pursue. The whole experience of going through a cancer diagnosis and treatment is is phenomenally stressful. There's probably a few things that kind of rank up there. On a scale of one to ten, it's probably about a twenty. We know that stress affects your desire and your sex life and your your ability to be present in your life. so so I, I think I think your your desire and your drive is maybe one of the first things that is going to be affected. Not to mention going through surgery, the the changes in your body the you know I mean in uh, as I said I, I work with women going through breast cancer we're talking about mastectomies and reconstruction absolutely affect your 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 relationship with yourself forget about being sexual with somebody else but your own relationship with you and your own body image I personally am a two-time cancer survivor the first cancer I had was cervical cancer and the second one was uh, bilateral breast cancer. And I remember uh, sitting and talking to uh, my good friend one day and and I was telling him how upsetting and how difficult it was. I had a lot of complications. I I wasn't a candidate for reconstruction. So when I looked in the mirror, literally there was nothing but skin and bone and scars. And I remember talking to my friend and telling him how difficult that was to get out of the shower, you know, in front of a mirror and, you know, going through all of these things to not have to look at myself in the mirror. And he said to me, Well, I don't know. I was around the first time you had cancer, and that wasn't easy either. And I looked at him and I said, Yeah, that wasn't easy, but I didn't have to look in the mirror every day and see that my uterus was gone. But I have to look in the mirror every day and see that my breasts aren't there. It's a totally different emotional experience. So I I say that because I just really want to support women to really appreciate what this entails. This isn't, this isn't, minor. This isn't something that is going to be over tomorrow. This isn't something that there's something wrong with you. This is just what happens when you go through this experience. It affects us physically. It affects us mentally. It affects us emotionally. Going through surgery and going through treatment, being on drugs that affect our hormone levels. Of course, our whole sex drive is going to be a wild card and and unfortunately too often it, it's that we don't have it and i just really want to support women to to just sit with that to 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 realize that there's nothing wrong with you if you don't have any sense of sex drive and sometimes it's temporary it doesn't mean that it's permanent but there's nothing wrong with you it's just an an out growth of what you're going through and I find that one of the worst things when I work with women is in addition to going through these very real physical and emotional and psychological changes they're putting a lot of guilt on themselves because they feel like they should be something else they should want to have sex they should want to have you know intimacy with their partner. And sometimes that's the last thing they want. But I just want to tell women, there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly normal. And the more you can, you know, kind of allow yourself to be in that space, sometimes it makes it a little bit easier to get through it. And it's none of it's easy.
0: Right. And you talked about stress and we are part of animal kingdom. And when we're in our life is in threat, of course, we wouldn't have the libido. And we were, when we we're right. chased by a lion, it's like our sexual drive is the first thing that gets shut down. And with the cancer stress of treatment, it's just very normal for people to feel stressful. And also as as the result, kind of it's impacting our desire as you're talking right. about. And It's just like, yes, it's fantastic if you can implement the stress reduction techniques. But as I I love when you talked about, it's just sometimes it's kind of we can practice radical acceptance. Things are this way, unfortunately, right now. And the more we kind of shame ourselves or feel guilty about it, it just makes the situation worse. And you're talking also about, you talked about the self-image piece, which is so important. Many right. women, I I work also with the field of in the field of eating disorders, and I see like oh, yeah. without the cancer treatments, many women are struggling with their self image, and I can only imagine with the um, mastectomy how would how would this might heighten their emotion and also the sense of grief. It oh, seems yes, like it yes. certainly can be impactful.
1: Oh, definitely, and and you bring up a really good point when you're dealing with anybody, you know, if you struggled with something like emotional eating or an eating disorder or stress, anxiety, and depression prior to a diagnosis, those are default mechanisms that you're going to go back to or that are going to be triggered. You know, if you're in recovery, you know, if, you, if you've if you had a substance abuse problem, that's going to be a really challenging time to not be triggered to go back to those coping mechanisms that you have used in the past. So when we you know it, as i said earlier i want women to know there's nothing wrong with you you're it's not pathological that you're depressed or you're struggling uh because of a diagnosis but if you have an underlying problem with that it's going to make it worse you know and and it can it, it can be even more challenging and and you know and and what i really want to encourage people is to is to understand that that this isn't a pathology. It's just a normal process. There's a normal grieving process to having any illness, but particularly when you're having parts of your body amputated, if you're um, going through surgery, and there's a grieving process. And sometimes that can be intense and it can be difficult, but it doesn't mean that it has to last forever. But it's to have people that you can truly be honest with, that you can reach out to, that can be there for you even when you're in those really difficult places is really important because the other side of this is that it's easy to become isolated um and and feel like no one understands and and so to have i like to talk about recovery teams you know we talked about doctors but the fact is is that is that i think having um i call it an integrative recovery team is the best thing that you can have and that includes you know a counselor it includes nurse navigators it includes nutritionists social support cancer support groups other women friends you know having a, a as much of a team of people around you as possible to get through you know what feels like an impossible situation
0: Right. And I I love the idea of the team. And I know that nurse navigators can be essential part of many people are struggling with finding resources and getting support. And you talked about also the process of like the, the grieving process, but also the reconstruction surgery that some women choose to do. And I feel that can be a very challenging Decision as well. What's oh, your absolutely. thoughts on that? Wow, that's that could be like a whole
1: separate episode in and of itself. Right. I the whole reconstruction part of this is is something that I ha, I basically went down a rabbit hole myself around my own recovery. I went through kind of traditional treatment. You know, my my surgeon was like, "Well, we're going to do reconstruction," and to me, I didn't question that because. Seem like about that what that's what people, you know, that's what they go through. And there's all these issues about whether you get reconstruction at the time or later on or whatever. Well, as it turns out, I had uh, personally a number of complications, and it turned out that I had to have all the um, reconstructive hardware removed. I was not a candidate for traditional reconstruction. And um only to find out that reconstruction, can create all sorts of other health problems. I I actually do a lot of work around something called breast implant illness. But basically women developing autoimmune responses to the foreign substance that's oh, put I didn't in the body. That. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's significant. And, and, um, you know, and I, I was actually going through that. My, my doctors didn't know what it was. My, my doctor actually told me one day, he's like, I don't know what this is. We just have to take this out. But I mean, it was basically an autoimmune response. And so I, I do a lot of work with women around understanding implants and the impact that it can have on your health. In addition to that, understanding some alternatives to reconstruction. I did eventually end up having a more unusual uh, type of reconstruction that used my own fat for reconstruction. It's called fat transfer. But there was only, I was in San Francisco, and there was only one doctor in the Bay Area that was trained to do it, and it just happened to be my doctor. But it's not well known, but it is a, an option for reconstruction that uh, for women who can't or don't choose to go through silicone implant reconstruction.
0: Right. And I I often, sometimes I hear about that surgery. And also, I was at this conference few years ago, and this was this uh, this woman who was a survivor of cancers breast cancer was talking about her experience with reconstructions. And she was talking about how when she got the implant, she was feeling very uncomfortable. and it actually impacted her sexuality in a negative way. And it was just she was sharing her story as well, that how challenging. Of a decision was for her to decide to remove those implants, and oh, definitely. And I appreciate that you're sharing your story. That you know, it's just such a personal decision, but also there are so many factors that impacting one's choosing a way or uh, one one way and not uh, compared to other ways.
1: Well, as I said, this is a really huge topic, but there's one thing that I that I always like to emphasize. Um, I can't tell you what the psychology is of, of uh, well, I could tell you some generalities, but I don't know really the psychology of a woman who chooses to go through elective enhancement, you know, uh, right. getting, you know, a boob job. You know, that, uh, women do that. It's, it's, I think, the leading plastic surgery procedure in the country. But I can tell you psychologically, it's completely different when you get implants because your own breasts are being removed. I have heard from so many women who talk about that that they just hate the implants for one thing they're not equivalent and and it's always like well you know i'll i'll give you a you know a, you'll get a really nice it's basically a cosmetic thing it may give you a look but the fact is is you don't have sensation if you've had a mastectomy and you're having implants you don't have sensation And, and I've had women say to me, Oh my God, I hate these things. I could be in the middle of a hot flash or burning up and these things are ice cold or vice versa. Or, you know, it's, it's, I have no sensation. I have no feeling. And, and that experience of, of, of not having normal sensation, like when they hug somebody is only a daily reminder Mm -hmm. that they don't have their own breast. And it, and so getting implants, it, it doesn't, shortcut the grieving process that you go through with you know, having mastectomies. You know, and doctors will say, well, we do this because it, it helps with the, you know, the emotional experience. In my case, it's like you don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, they're not yours. You've still had your breast amputated. It still affects your sensation. It still affects your sex life. It they, They're they not natural. They're not yours. So it's it's a completely different psychological framework for understanding implants and making that decision. And if there's one thing that I could say to women, regardless of whether you choose to have implants or not, you don't have to make that decision at the same time. And too often, that's what surgeons are doing there. They're like, well, we're doing um, a mastectomy and reconstruction at the same time. It's like that is the worst time when your body is uh, so immunosuppressed and so stressed and so overwhelmed is the last, you know, that's not the time to be putting a foreign substance in your body that your body has to deal with in addition. So whatever that decision is, wait a while, let your body heal, you know, get to a place where you're more mentally clear to make that decision. You know, they've already pointed a gut loaded gun at your head when they tell you that you have breast cancer, you know, then it's like, you're you're dealing with, with that. And then they're like, and pick a cup size at the same time. I mean, to me, I just would sit there and I, I know my eyes would just glass over because it's like, I could care less, you know, it, it it just wasn't the time to make all of those decisions, you know, and, and, you know, I don't want to criticize any woman or the decision they make in terms of reconstruction. But once again, just give yourself time to sort through all of this. This is such a devastating diagnosis, and it has impact in so many areas of your life. It's like, I I know, women don't want to go through multiple surgeries. But the fact is, is that you oftentimes have to anyway. But just give yourself time to sort through this. And, and at first, the most immediate decision you have to make is how you're going to deal with the cancer. You know, I, my, my catch line, as you know, is boobs aren't worth dying for. You know, when you're going through this, that's what it comes down to. What decision do you need to make right now about your life? And, you know, things like reconstruction and cosmetically, how you're going to look, that can come later. But, you know, just give yourself the time to sort through this. I I heard a woman say to me last week, it's like, you're hit with everything, you have to make decisions about everything, and you process and understand nothing. Because you're in a state of shock. Every woman is in some level of shock.
0: Absolutely. And I just like some people, as you mentioned, at least what I hear from my clients, they don't know they have the option of waiting because this is the kind of all these things kind of present to them at the same time about, okay, you have to make the decision about this and also the reconstruction and everything. It's good to know that you can pause and reflect and process your emotions and what you want. And the other thing that we I wanted to touch base about and talk about is... How this diagnosis of cancer can impact the intimate relationship if the person is in the marriage or partnership, and how sexuality changes in that dynamic might might get impacted.
1: Well, that's yes, that's um, such an important issue. And and I, as I was thinking about this last night, I I think that there's two levels of this that that come to mind, and and at the purely physical level. I, as I, we when we were talking before the show, I work with women who feel guilty because they don't, they're not in a place where there's anything sexual going on in their body, you know, in terms of desire or, or comfort or wanting it. But they feel guilty because their partners, you know, they they want them to have sexual expression, or you know, they feel guilty because their husband, you know, they feel like they need to have sex in their lives, and that's a very real thing. And uh, I talked to a woman recently, and I, excuse me, if uh, I, I hope this isn't too graphic for your listeners, but we were at a support group, and she's a, a lovely woman. And she came up and she told me that her, her sex drive was very much impacted. And actually, in her case, um, one of the things that I didn't mention earlier is that in addition to the drugs that we have to take that affect our hormones, sometimes there can be physical changes in our body that make it Uh, very difficult to be aroused or to be, you know, if you've had radiation, if you've had any radiation anywhere around your pelvic area, it can actually cause an atrophy or or, or, a shrinking and tightening of the tissue. So it can actually become very, very, very painful to even from a physical standpoint to have sex. So, you know, in that case, there's a lot of things that you can do physically in terms of using like uh, lubrication or or sometimes doing things so that, that you can tolerate penetration. Because a lot of women can't if, they're, if they've had radiation in any part of their body and it's caused an atrophy of the vaginal tissue, it, it can actually be physically excruciating to have pain. And so when I hear women saying, but I'm doing it anyway because I feel guilty that I'm not being sexual with my husband, it just makes me cringe. You know, because I can't believe that most husbands want to have sex knowing that it's causing you pain that can't be very enjoyable for them and and actually i was reading something recently that 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 fear and that anxiety on the part of your partner that that they're hurting you or you know that that it's an unpleasant experience can actually create issues of like premature ejaculation in men, or, you know, they're trying so hard to rush through it that they're not enjoying it and it can create some, some sexual issues for them because they're being flooded with the, the stress and anxiety of trying to have sex, knowing that you're not enjoying it. So I can't imagine that that's a, that's a very intimate connecting experience for a lot of people, you know, but going back to what we talked about earlier, if you didn't have the ability to. Talk to your husband or your partner openly about sex before you had cancer. Not going to get any easier afterwards. So the first thing that I recommend is just really try to sit down and have a conversation about what's going on in your body. Men or, you know, not just men, but your partner's they're not going to read your mind and they've got their own stuff going on around this. So the more you can talk about it or explain to them or say, well, you know, um, you know, maybe this would help, or maybe we could try this, you know, make a plan for it. And it's, you know, one of the things that's going to suffer is that sense of spontaneous passion. You know, it has to become a more thoughtful process uh, about how to be intimate, how to enjoy it and how to enjoy it for both of you.
0: Exactly. And I love that you're talking about that, like not doing it. If you're like not engaging in the, in the behavior that if you repeatedly finding painful and it certainly impact the quality of the relationship for many couples that I see, because if it is excruciating pain, you don't want to engage in that behavior. And one thing we talked about before the show that you were talking about, I think it was fantastic about, how our definition of sexuality we can broaden our definition of sex
1: right so right. if it's
0: painful then we can maybe add things or modify things that can improve the sex life you still can have satisfying sex life but it might be look might look different than what it was before
1: exactly exactly well like the woman who spoke to me recently she you know i mean she she was like almost in tears this was a really central to her what was going on with her husband and, she, and she's like but I, I don't want hit to die, deny him because she said but I'm never in the mood and 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 there was a grief around that because she had a very active and vibrant sex life before her diagnosis so that that wasn't an insignificant thing that she didn't experience that desire but but she was like but I don't want to inflict that on my husband and I just I turned to her and I was like what did you do when you were 16 in the back of a car with your boyfriend <laughs> and, I love that. And she said, Well, I used to give him hand jobs. I said, Do you think your husband would enjoy a hand job now? And her eyes just lit up. She's like, Yeah. I was like, you know, as far as I know, that works for men. You know, it you know, and and if that's the way you can be sexual and give him sexual enjoyment without going through an excruciatingly painful process for yourself, I'm all for it. I just suggest that you get a really good loop. And, she, and it was really funny, and she was walking out, she went over, and she took her husband's hand, and she's like, honey, we need to talk, and I just, <laughs> my, my husband came up to me, and he's like, you did your thing again, didn't you, and I'm like, of course I did, <laughs> but but you know, I mean, that's a very simple thing, but you know, let me tell you, I, I, I was telling you, I come from San Francisco, and, and believe me, if, if you've never been to San Francisco, it's a very sexually permissive place, and there are all levels of expressing sexuality, you know, and there are there are things that you can explore. I mean, there are, are tons of websites and books and things that you can check out. But you know, you know, for women who have always been more of a passive recipient when it comes to sex, maybe it's a time for you to get more in charge and more directive, and you know, and men love that. But you may not know that if you've never. Ex- explored that in your relationship. You know, as men get older, uh, chastity is something that a lot of men fantasize about. If you've never explored that with your husband, you know, look it up online. There's lots of chastity websites out there. It could open up a whole new area of sexual expression in your relationship and in a way that allows you to be participating in it and not just enduring it.
0: Right. And sometimes I hear from my clients that after treatment when they have like medical condition they realize that they learn because of the uh, circumstances they learn so many other things they can use and they can do and they can really enjoy so sometimes it broadens people's definition of sex and also make they can add things to their toolbox which is definitely I personally seen how it's improving people's sexual life. So one other thought that I have, and I want to make sure we're addressing and talking about it. I know that you're a holistic, uh, integrated mind-body coach, and I wanted to make sure that we talk about the coping mechanism that can, we can recommend the survivors to do in, in order to improve their sexual health. right. Right.
1: And I, I and this is a really uh, big part of my work. Um, the first thing that, well, very much tied into this, one issue I wanted to bring up related to what we were just talking about about your relationship with your partner. I want to talk about the emotional and mental part of what can happen. When you're in a partnership going through this, because when you're in treatment and you're going through all the side effects of treatment and the energy and the fatigue and the nausea and, and everything, it's really great that, that you have a partner that's supporting you through that. But in terms of the dynamic of the relationship, depending on where you're at and how long that goes on, sometimes it can feel like you've moved from being an intimate partner to being a caregiver. So it becomes a caregiver and uh, more of a platonic kind of relationship. And I think that's one of the really difficult things for couples to deal with. You went from being partners and being sexual partners to more of a of a inequity. And so in terms of getting your sex life back, forget about the physical aspect of it. Part of it is just really looking at that emotional piece and doing it in a time and place that makes sense because, believe me, during treatment, you need a caretaker. There's nothing wrong with that. But it may get to a point where the two of you have to like intentionally put effort into the fact of reestablishing that intimate partner relationship and taking it out of that caregiving relationship that may have developed during treatment. And and that's a really sensitive and fine-tuned thing to do. One of those things can be getting to a certain point and And if you need support, turning to other people, you know, like if you need to get to a doctor's appointment, you know, uh, my husband was really great. He went to every appointment with me, but there came a point where it was like, you don't have to take off work every time I'm going now for a routine post-op check, you know? And, and so, and he did anyway, I would go, I'd, I'd be a big girl. I'd drive myself to the doctor and then I'd, I'd text him and I'd be, where are you? And he'd be like, I'm outside, you know, and it was very sweet and very very touching. But but the fact is, is that that's one way, maybe in the intensity, they've been a caregiver, but when it's less intense and you're in recovery, learning how to utilize those other options and those other resources, whether it's support groups or friends or, you know, perhaps with your partner, actually setting up a date night. You know, I mean, we all know that sexuality and intimacy are intricately tied together. For most women, they need to feel that intimacy and connection to get to a point where they feel sexually engaged. So maybe setting up a date night and that night you go out and you talk about and you be together as a couple and nothing about illness, diagnosis, treatment or recovery comes up. It's it's a time to be romantic, to connect, to ask your partner what what are they going through, you know you know how be becoming engaged in their lives. So it's more of a it's not just feeling like it's always going one way towards you because you're the the patient. One of the things that I don't care when my when my clients come in, I don't care what it, chronic illness they've been dealing with. It can be an autoimmune illness, it can be diabetes, it can be cancer the first thing I really try to get through to them from a mind-body perspective is that you are not your illness. You know, sometimes dealing with an illness can be so all-consuming. It's a 24-7 process and it never turns off. And what I like, I always use the language that you are not a cancer patient. You are a person experiencing cancer or diabetes or an autoimmune process. So if you can find... Five or ten minutes in your day, not not if you can find. It's what I ask them to do is find ten minutes where you're not on the computer googling treatment, where you're not immersed in anything that has to do with treatment. Take ten minutes and you know, spend time with your partner or your or your kids or go outside. I live in Hawaii. It's like, go out and snorkel, you know, for thirty minutes a day. But do something. That That is not disease focused because it's all too easy and very much human nature to become so obsessed with all aspects of this that you become like a, a, it becomes your identity. And I think the first part of reclaiming your life is to put some space between you and that that identity of being a patient who always is looking at the next treatment or the next complication or the next medicine or whatever that is.
0: The, these are great recommendations that i can talk about it for hours with you and it seems like that's something that's in, like you're very passionate about and you know a lot about it so if our listeners they would want to reach out to you get access to some of the content that you have what would be the best way
1: uh, thanks for asking. My website is mindbodynutritionrn.com, and I can be reached at radicalhealthrn at gmail.com. And um, I work with people all over the country. I, I live in a small community, but I do a lot of consultation by phone and and Skype and reaching out to people in many different ways because I just feel like there aren't a lot of practitioners that are talking about all of these areas. So I really hope this has been helpful for your listeners. And if, you know, they have any questions or comments or anything, you know, I would really love to hear from you and, you know, get any feedback about the interview.
0: Excellent. I'll make sure I leave the show notes uh, there, link in the show notes. And this this was super helpful. Thank you, Debra. And have a lovely day. Oh, thank you so much. I hope my interview with Deborah, I gave you good information about what you can do to get your groove back during and after cancer treatment. More importantly, where to go if you need resources, because everyone's experience could be different. Not necessarily, we all going to experience the same kind of challenges, but it's important to know where to turn to if you are struggling. At the end of the show, I wanted to thank a few of you guys who wrote us Honest Review on iTunes, Yielding Universe, I'm That Mom, Kay Vernoy, and Nola Wazer. They were generous and wrote us Honest Review in last week. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for your great feedback. And for the rest of you, I would love it if you share uh, your thoughts and feedback in Apple, a podcast, and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to sexology podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.